Welcome to episode three of Compass Thoughts, the official podcast for Bumman Assembly of God. I am Pastor Joey Silva, again with you today, and uh, we have the pleasure of having Pastor Jason, our worship pastor, here with us. Uh, pastor Jason has been on staff for a number of years now, and uh, actually a son of the church, and we've had some great conversations over the years, and uh, he's Indeed. somebody that I've always felt I can bring up a topic, and there's some intelligent conversation that we can have on that. So I'm really excited that he gets to be on the podcast today. The topic that we're going to be covering is a little bit on the heavier side, so I'd love love for you guys to just get an opportunity to get to know Pastor Jason a little bit better. And so I got a few lighthearted questions I want to start with, uh, stuff that uh, will give him a little insight into who you are. And again, if you don't know him well, you don't understand that he is literally a fat man trapped in a skinny man's body. And by it's that, true. I mean, he eats <laughs> um, like if, if buffets are ever going to come back, he's still going to be banned from them. That's how much Pastor Jason eats. And so I got a couple of questions here. Uh, if I'm coming to Chicago for the first time, I go to you, Pastor Jason, and I go, man, I am in the mood for a really good burger. Where do I go? Batso's Last Stand. Yes. Batso's Last Stand. The best. Yep. Yes. Great fries. Yep. Phenomenal fries. Hand cut, fried. You can get all the dogs there charred. Yeah. But that burger. It's the cheese. Yeah. Merck's cheddar cheese. It is the best. That's good. Yeah. One overrated, Kuma's Corner. Yeah, and I loved Kuma's Corner back yeah. in the day. I would wait in line to get into Kuma's Corner, but I, waited, I agree. I did a two-hour wait, disappointed. Not, it's not a bad burger. It's just hyped up See, too much. See, here's what happens. When a restaurant that we love gets notoriety, quality goes down the drain. Yeah. They start cheaping out. They start raising prices, and the whole thing falls apart. I just think there's no reason to wait two hours in this city yeah. for food. Exactly. Unless you're with the guest and they really want to try it, that's the only reason. Okay, fair enough. Um, speaking of food, uh, I know you like all types of cuisines, but if one's got to go, who do you choose? Filipino food or Puerto Rican food? I'm going to go with, if I can only choose one, I'm going to go with Puerto Rican food. And I know that I haven't had all of it. Yeah. But to me, the... The hibarito is Oof. top two sandwich. Ooh, top all two. Time. Who's one? Top two. Maybe Rick Benny's. Maybe you could flip them. Okay. Breaded steak, Rick Benny's. Uh, I think it's 26th Street. Yeah, that's nice. Southsiders, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. And, and who's got the best hibarito? Because I know you've, you've traveled Yes, I, I did with my good friend Kirby and a couple other people. We went to four places at one time, one trip. I, I think La Palma. It's really good. Yeah. Catered my uh, wedding. They're, yeah, they're, they're really good. Yeah. All right. Um, speaking of really good, Tom Brady, Super Bowl again. Is he officially the GOAT of all GOATs? He is the GOAT of all GOATs. Oh. And I'll tell you one thing about myself, Belmont, is that I consider myself to be one of the most unbiased people. I hate bias. And I'm not saying that I don't have any. I just... Don't think I have a lot. You sound very biased towards your unbiased. Probably. Yeah. Probably. But as much as I love Michael Jordan and I grew up in Chicago, I have to go with Tom Brady because I think it's harder to win a Super Bowl than it is to win an NBA Finals. I mean, yeah, I could see that. My only issue with that is that Tom Brady only plays half the game. The defense plays a whole role, whereas at least in the NBA – 
they're playing the whole time. Yeah. And even even more than if, if we were to stretch it out, then you got guys like Phelps, who could arguably be called the goat of all goats. Yeah, swimming to me, it's exercise. It's, not it's a different. Sport. No, swimming is hard. Yeah, I got into swimming before the pandemic, and it is exhausting. You got out of it before I the got pandemic. out. It is it is really hard. I can run fifteen miles. I cannot swim to save my life. But I'll take that argument and use it against you. How many? Playoff games or how many Super Bowls did Brady not get to or not win because of his defense? Yeah, that's true. So I think it goes both ways. both ways. Okay, fair enough. Um, speaking of superstars, there's been an increase in celebrity preachers, worship leaders, um, just Christians in general, uh, with the increase in the addition of social media, online content. The local church has really become a global thing. And yeah. a lot of people have elevated um, a lot of these men and women to superstar level to the point where they're getting millions of followers on Instagram and, you know, there's a lot of sponsorships and, and you know, even the secular world is talking about them. Unfortunately, when the secular world talks about them, usually it's because there was some massive fail, uh, whether it's a moral failure, a financial failure, some other kind of scandal attached to them. And so the question and the content that we want to talk about today is what happens when these Christian celebrities fail? And again, I want to preface that this isn't anything new. You think about Jim and Tammy Baker, Jimmy Swagger back in the 80s, two prominent Assembly of God ministers who, you know, huge on the televangelist scene and had very public moral failures and financial failures. And now you have guys like Bill Hybels, Carl Lentz, James McDonald, Israel Hooten, Ravi Zacharias. And, uh, you know, you and I, we kind of have this ongoing question that we usually ask ourselves, and that is, does anybody surprise you? You know, is, is it, we've gotten to a point where we've seen so many highly esteemed, and I wouldn't even categorize them all as, you know, Instagram famous, just a lot of these are world renowned. And, you know, at least very known within the Christian world. And so we've seen person after person fail greatly within the public eye. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, And so I have a few questions that I have for you, and I just would love to hear your opinion on some of this. And here's kind of the first one. Do you feel that we as people are partly to blame for elevating these individuals to such high statuses? I think we are partly to blame, not for their failures, but we are to blame in the sense that we've, I think the American church is always behind the culture. Yeah. In that our trends really just mimic the culture of the day. We're usually about five, 10 years late a lot of the times, and that's why our worship music is always a little bit behind. But we've adopted the celebrity culture in our church, unfortunately. And I would say that we're more to blame in our disappointment Mm -hmm. and our hurt because a lot of people do, a lot of believers do feel hurt and disappointed. And even some will leave the faith because a great leader falls. And a lot of that, that, a lot of that is because we've put them up in this position that really they should never have been in. It goes beyond admiration and respect. Yeah, I agree. I think we almost deify them. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that's new. I think you see that in the Bible. I think you saw that when the people of God were arguing with Samuel for a king 
and and this desire to have a man that they can look up to when God is sitting there going, "You got me." Yeah. And uh, and again, I think you know from our perspective, from the people, I don't think it's right. Uh, and I think sometimes we, like you said, people their faith is shaken because their faith was placed in a person and yeah. not necessarily in God. So kind of with that, do you feel like their power and status makes them more susceptible to failing or makes it harder for them to not fail? I, I think going back to what you were saying, actually, with King Saul, you saw it even in Exodus when they couldn't see God and Moses was gone. And so they built, they built a literal idol yeah. as a way to connect with God. And I think that's a, uh, I don't know if I would say failure, but it's a mistake on our part that we are so far from God that we need someone to go in between. Yeah. And Jesus already did that. Jesus already paid the price on the cross so that we can have instant access to God. He is the mediator that we don't need. I don't, and, and I love your faith and I love Pastor Carlos's faith and I love Pastor Tom, the pastors that we have here on staff and other pastors that I admire and respect, but I don't need them to be a go-between for me and the Lord. Yeah, I feel like I can that, go. Right? Yeah. Even with us, a lot of people, hey, can you pray for me? And I've tried to train myself oftentimes to say, no, I'll pray with you. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm not the great intercessor, right? That's yeah. Christ. Uh, but again, I think when you're at this status, kind of going back to that question, does their power and status make it more difficult? I think there is a certain level of truth to that in that one, by nature, I think humans are vain. Are vain. And if you get millions of people singing your praises and lifting you up, I think it's harder and harder to show your flaws yeah. and keep up appearances. And then on top of that, um, that sinful nature likes the attention. And we begin to, and I've said this to other ministers in the past, there's, there's a certain level in ministry, there's a certain party that likes that people come to you. Uh, we don't always acknowledge it or like to admit it, but there is a part of it, it's left unchecked, that likes people needing us. Yeah. And I think when you're at that level, where it's literally millions of people listening to everything and admonishing you all the time, it, it's a hard thing to overcome. Yeah, I think it shows our need, even as ministers, for affirmation. Mm -hmm. And for me, I want to try to get my affirmation first and foremost from the Lord. Yeah. And then from my family and circle of friends, people that I feel like can be really honest with me. And that's what I love about going home. Yeah. Is, and I, I remember hearing a pastor, a well-known pastor, talk about how they would preach a sermon and it would be great and everyone's giving them applause and people are coming up, like you said, asking for prayer and they go home and their wife says, all right, can you just take out the trash? Yeah. And yeah. I love that. I think we need more of that because it makes us human again. Yeah. So it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes, right? Yeah. When, when everybody's always esteeming and you're great, you're wonderful. It's dangerous. And yeah. It really does set you up. Um, so I've heard people say, and this is kind of an interesting idea, I've heard people say things like, Joel Osteen is my pastor, even though they don't even live in Texas, they're <laughs> hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of an interesting question considering what we've gone through this last year, but do you think that qualifies as their pastor? No, I don't. And I know this could be controversial. Again, these are just my opinions, not the opinions of Belmont Assembly God. A little disclaimer there for everybody. <laughs> Let me throw that in there. You do not reflect but the thoughts. I, I would say he could be someone that you look up to and he could be someone that helps you understand the Bible 
helps you unpack the Bible. But I think part of the job of a pastor is a shepherd and part of shepherding means you have to correct. Yeah. And how is Joel Osteen going to correct you? Mm-hmm. And I think actually that a lot of people prefer doing the online only church. I know we're all doing it because of the pandemic, but I think a lot of people prefer that. I think a lot of people prefer even going to a mega church because they can get lost and because they don't have to have the accountability. Yes. And again, that's dangerous because we need that just as our kids need it to grow and nourish in the physical sense. We need that in the spiritual sense. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think a lot of times we um, we like to attach ourselves to winning teams. You know, it's kind of like we, you and I have that conversation all the time about how in the NBA the, all these guys paired up and create super teams. And uh, I think it's kind of cool to say, oh, I'm, I'm part of this big church or I'm part of this prominent leader's ministry and almost show it off. But uh, again, it's chasing a man or a woman. It's not necessarily chasing God. And yeah. like you said, there's no discipline. There's no accountability. There's no uh, correction. Um, it's all from a distance. And I, I think that's why God's heart has been and will always be for the local church. And I love all these other ministries because they bless me. You know, there's a lot of yeah. times where, you know, for you and me, it's like there's these great outlets that we have as ministers to be ministered to as well. But ultimately, I think we all need to be accountable to the local church uh, because there are some one-on-one things in areas that need to be checked. And I think that goes in part why the celebrity pastor can so easily fail because who do they go to? Where's their accountability? Right. Where's their process of being pastored? And if they're not willingly and purposely seeking that out, it's easy to let it stop with you and then nobody knows my secrets. Nobody knows my struggles and my hidden sin until eventually what's done in darkness is brought to light. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I don't think that it's wrong to be a well-known pastor or to be a leader of a megachurch. I think if that's what God has for you, then it's something that you should go after just the same way as if God called you to be a pastor of a small church. The key though is, like you said, having that accountability. And I think for a lot of people, when they get to that celebrity status, that accountability goes out the window. Yeah. Well, it's almost like you think about David, right? And and when Saul is king, David's on the rise. And, you know, that thing, that song, David has his tens of thousands and it's starting to get yeah. under Saul's skin. And you kind of see the humility of David early on. But then you flash forward to the time with Bathsheba when David is supposed to be at war leading. You don't see the same David and Goliath. Right. You see someone who's left unchecked and doesn't have anybody to hold them accountable. Yeah. And it cost him dearly. Well, and the problem with David, I think is the problem with a lot of us when it comes to sin and temptation is that he kept looking. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that first one. It's that he kept looking. And I thought about in Genesis chapter three, when Satan literally tempts Eve, the problem was that she had a conversation with him. Yeah. And then after that, the Bible says that when she saw the fruit, so she has this conversation and she's got an opportunity to pull away, but instead she keeps looking at the fruit. Yeah. And eventually, if you do that, you're going to give in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's crazy. Both David and Eve uh, deserve death, according to the Bible, for their actions. And yet you see the grace of God in the process and the redemption of God. How do you feel the church in general responds when they see a high-profile Christian fail, and how should we respond? Well, I think, sadly, we see a lot of people who—I can understand expecting it to some degree, but I think a lot of people actually enjoy it. 
yeah. when, when someone fails. And, and that just kind of talks about or points to the rivalry and the division that exists in the church and something that I think Paul talks about in, in Philippians chapter one. He talks about people doing things out of rivalry and competition. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that's not the heart of God. I, the, the way that I believe and the way that I want to respond, but the way that I believe God wants us to respond is to act in humility and pray for our leaders, as yeah. Timothy talks about, to pray for them and to um, cover them with grace yeah. and, and hope that, as you said, like with David, with other leaders, that God would restore them. Maybe it may not be the same ministry or the same type of ministry or, or size of ministry, but really that God would restore them. And of course, their personal lives too, because we forget that in the midst of all of this, there's, there has to be turmoil in their own home. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think it's important that sin is uncovered, that we don't hide sin, that we don't hide just because they're a prominent leader, that we should bury it and, and not let people know. Because all throughout the Bible, you never see God hiding sin. He exposes it. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, he also has grace and mercy and there's redemption. And think about how many great leaders in the Bible we would have lost if after their public failure, God just washed their hands of them forever and said, we're done. Yeah. You know, there's so many, you know, story after story and person after person where God took that failure and used it for his honor and for his glory. And again, I think you're right. I think a lot of times as the church, um, it's kind of one of those dust and plank situations. And um, I, I think it grieves the heart of the Lord when we rejoice in right. anyone's failure. Right. Whether it's a celebrity or your neighbor, anyone who falls from God's grace, that should grieve your heart and should move you to pray and should move you to intercede. Yeah. And not to say, ah, oh, see, I told you so, there, all this. And move you to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Absolutely. To understand, when I look at these people, and you, you listed some of them earlier, I think every single one of them is better than me, yeah. was better than me. And I don't know if I'll ever be as good as them just from a knowledge of the Bible perspective, from a, you know how to lead a church perspective. Yeah, and so looks- for me, it is definitely humbling. When, when I see that happen, it helps me to check things in my life to make sure that I have my things in order and mm-hmm. to put boundaries in place so that I don't go down that same path. Yeah. I think that's why I like our conversations that we have whenever there is one of those where we, you or I send it, you know, that notification or that article to each other. Um, I've always felt a very sobering moment in that because I know, I know that I know that I'm capable of just as much, if not worse, if yeah. I were allow it to happen. So speaking of redemption, one last question on this. Do you think these men and women disqualify themselves from ever holding positions of leadership within the church again? I think it depends on what they did. Mm -hmm. I don't want to throw everyone in the same boat. And then quite honestly, it depends on whether a church is willing to hire them or not. Mm -hmm. I do think that you've seen a lot of worship leaders and lead pastors who have gotten back into ministry too quickly yeah. because of their status, mm-hmm. because a church looks at them and says, well, if we bring them in, then we're going to be able to do this and sure. that and the other, and quite frankly, raise revenue or increase tithe or gain more members. And then what happens a lot of times is 
that sin is never really dealt with yeah. because a lot of those things are really deep in the heart and take months, if not years to really bring to the forefront and help that individual with. And so what I've seen a lot is those people repeating the same mistakes. Is is there a situation where you feel like, yeah, no, you shouldn't be involved in ministry again? Uh, yes, I, I do. I do think that it can get to that point. I don't know if you want me to say specifically what. Yeah, go um, An open podcast. Yeah, murder. That's okay. got, that's got to be that's got to sure. be out there, right? That's a given. I mean, listen, I'm all about forgiveness and and grace, and you can be forgiven, but you don't have to leave my church if you murdered yeah. someone. But you know, I think on, anything involving a child. On a serious note, yeah, things involving things involving minor. Um, personally, and I think you're. You live in a free country, so you can go to whatever church you feel God is calling you to. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving my tithe to a church where the lead pastor is someone who's been convicted of, yeah, I don't know, embezzlement or embezzlement theft, right? Yeah, yeah, taking the tithe and using it inappropriately. Uh, I don't think that that would be something that that I could do. Could I follow someone who had um, a misstep in their marriage? Maybe, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that one is worse than the other. I'm just letting people know these are my honest opinions on sure on the topic. Yeah, and I, again, like you said, I think it's a a case by case, and a lot of it has to do with have they gone through the process, have they been redeemed, and that's something that I think it, as a whole the church can often fail at having loving arms towards someone who fails. And I used to say yeah. this a lot to my wife. I wish we showed the same amount of grace to the 20-year Christian who messed up than the, as the person who walked in, never known God, and is a complete mess. Because if we get a drug addict, if we have a prostitute, if we have yeah. you know, a former gaming, something it's who's open had arms. Horrible, yeah, we yeah. love you, thank God for it. But if you've had someone who's, for the most of their life, done well, you know, at least in the public eye, and then has a night where they messed up and did something they shouldn't have done, a lot of times the church just turns their back. And I think yeah. sometimes they stand on, you know, 1 Corinthians where it talks about expel the immoral brother, sure. but then they forget 2 Corinthians where it says, hey, bring them back. Yeah. Uh, and I wish, this is part of my heart and my prayer, that the church as a whole would show much more grace to would be it celebrity or be it a new believer or a longtime believer in the church. Um, that doesn't mean there's not consequences. That doesn't mean that there's not a process that goes in, but we are in the process of redeeming, not condemning. Yeah. I think part of it in terms of having a hard time forgiving leaders that fail is when it's our leader. Oh yeah. That personal hurt can be quite honestly hard to get over. For a lot of people, but I'm with you. I think it's something that we need to be able to forgive and, like you said, ultimately restore people the way that God wants them to be and restored. I think that's where the disconnect can easily come in. Like we mentioned, that person who's online, who's pastoring in another state, I can view them as a spiritual leader to me to a certain extent, but if they fail, I have no relationship to them. Yeah. So it's easy for me to cut them off and go, man, yeah, they're not in my life anyway. Right. Um, when I think, like you said in the beginning, it mimics what the world does. Culturally, the world will lift up this celebrity, and then when it's of no use, they cast them aside like they're yesterday's garbage. Yeah. And uh, I just don't feel like the church should be that way. I think it's something that we need to strive towards doing better, showing more grace, more love, and uh, more redemption, because ultimately it's what Christ did for us. Yeah. And we have to understand that 
these leaders, as big as they may be, or as big as we make them out to be, that they're human. And like you mentioned earlier, this isn't new. It's not something that is central to just the American church or the Western church. This is something that's been happening really since the beginning of time. When you talk about people like Abraham, Mm -hmm. talk about David, you talk about Peter. I I think of Peter when I think of this issue. Now, I don't know if Peter had quite the moral failure, but think about Peter, Jesus, on the night that, that he dies, he gets done washing their feet and he's, he tells them that one of them is going to betray him. And then Peter says, I'll never yeah. betray you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to do it. You're going to do it tonight. Now, I would have thought that if I was Peter and Jesus told me you will deny me tonight, I would just not speak sure. until the evening or the night was over. And then I'd be like, okay, well, then I didn't do it. And yet he did it. Mm-hmm. He turned his back on on the Lord. And I think, again, that's just a reminder of our humanity and our frailty. And again, going back to what I was saying before, when I hear of leaders failing, one of the thoughts at the forefront is it reminds me of my need for Jesus to live uh, as, as Paul says, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen. On that note, I think it's important that we uh, close out with something just a little bit lighter. And so uh, share with me your funniest fail during a service? Uh, a few, I know this must've been early on. So maybe about four or five years ago on a Wednesday night, pastor doesn't tell me what he's going to preach about. And so during the message, people, if you may seem, maybe not so much now because you're watching online, but I typically am on my phone during the service. And it's because I'm trying to find a song that correlates with what he's talking about. And this one Wednesday night, he was talking about uh, not being ashamed of the gospel. And I couldn't find a song. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write something. As sometimes I do, not all the time, but sometimes I do. I'll try to write something as he's speaking. And then I'm figuring, you know what? I'm going to sing it at the end and, and then we'll just let it go. And, and I remember I sang the line that it went something like, I don't want to be unashamed. Mm-hmm. And, and I sang it with my heart and I'm lifting my hands and I'm belting it out. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to be unashamed of you. And uh, Pastor Tom sends me an email the next day and he says, yeah, I don't think that's what you were trying to say. I think you were trying to say, I don't want to be ashamed. <laughs> and so essentially what I was singing again at the top of my lungs with all my heart and I've got the, the typical worship leader movements and motions going on, looking like I'm anointed. And basically what I was saying is, God, I want to be ashamed of you. Yeah. And I thought, okay, yeah, I, I'll take the L. <laughs> well, thank God for grace. <laughs> thank God for grace. And forgiveness. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you once again for joining us here for Compass Thoughts. Thank you. And tune in next week as we continue these conversations. And I hope you get to enjoy being a fly on the walk. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.